All right, shalom and welcome back. We are in the middle of the block party, and uh, I'm supposed to be continuing backstory on Bilam and going into Balak, the uh, supposed main character of the story portion. Which, if we're looking at Bilam, we're looking at Balak, and so that's cool because Balak or Bilam is like a exponentially greater force than Balak even because it's like he hates the Jews actually more than Balak does so it's just kind of like okay but Balak is like a don't get you some type of person already because he's actually uh like a sorcerer too and he knows how to do things so it's kind of interesting because it's like if you're already Superman then why are you gonna go ask Green Lantern for help or if you're already Green Lantern, why are you going to go ask Superman for help? I don't know. That was a terrible DC reference. Oh, my goodness. Okay. How did I get over here? All right. So, anyway, let's get into backstory, finally. Goodness. One of the things I wanted to point out, just in case I don't get to, is the oxymoron of Bilam supposedly going out to destroy the Jews but he cannot overcome his own donkey because the donkey is like saving him from death and he's like beating the donkey like what are you doing what's your problem the donkey's like haven't I always been your servant like why would you think I would go against you and I would never dishonor our family you don't have to kill me da 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 okay I met Midrash just kicked in really hard on that one but anyway, it's just like, so he couldn't even deal with his own donkey. And it says, if I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. It's just like, so how are you planning to kill Israel? So if you can't kill your own donkey, you need a sword to do that. So is the donkey greater than Israel? Like, what are you trying to say here? Which, again, I can't help but think about Mashiach riding in on the donkey. Because the word donkey, Rabbi Abraham Greenbaum... I call him Rabbi G-Bomb, of course. Um, I just nickname everybody because I love you, okay? But anyway, Rabbi G-Bomb brings down, obviously through Jewish sources too, but him specifically saying that the word for donkey is chamor, which is synonymous or homiletic to the word chomoris, which is the word for materialism. So the donkey literally represents materialism. Okay, so let me go ahead and pull up that word so I can pronounce it appropriately. Man, you gotta be on it with these horses. Yeah, I had a, a interesting week. So I, I was like eight hours behind on Drosh's. So there was so much to like pull in and glean that you know it's just kind of really hard to uh figure out a time that i was actually going to be able to do this uh podcast so it's like okay rabbi g boom on parsha block where's that word for donkey hey donkey in the morning we're making waffles Okay, the donkey is symbolic of materialism in general, which is humrius, humrius, humriut, actually, because the rus would be, uh, rius would be 
Ashkenazi, which is why Baloch sounds like that, and it should be Balik, or it could be Balik, but, you know, I like Balak anyway, I'm kind of Shefkanaskin, so that's cool. Anyway, uh, why don't I just go ahead and read this paragraph? He says, I'm going to skip that one, that's crazy, we don't, we're not ready for that. You probably already heard that, but not going to do that. Okay. The donkey is symbolic of materialism in general, as indicated by the generic Hebrew term for donkey, which is chamor, and wanting to have it all. Bilam was diametrically opposed to the Israelite path of self-restraint and discipline. See, if you're opposed to self-restraint and discipline, you know, putting yourself in an awkward spot. Okay. So, yeah, so there's that. All right, let's go ahead and jump into Legends of the Jews on Balaam. All right, so check this out. So, Balaam is a heathen prophet. He's the prophet of the pagans. So, it says, The man whom the Moabites and Midianites believed to be Moshe's peer was none other than Laban. Yep, let that sink in, because Laban is the father-in-law of Yaakov, who wanted to keep Yaakov and his wives and his children from leaving. He literally wanted to keep Yaakov and his children and his wives from leaving, um, where was he at, Padanaram? And he wanted him to basically stay there and not go back to Israel, you know, not go back to the Holy Land. It's just like stay outside and ex in uh, exile. It's just like if you're cool with exile, then you're cool with Laban because he's just like, I love this. I'm getting all the benefit and you're struggling. So side note, everybody, we don't have to struggle. It's cool. We can get back to the land. Oh, let's make Teshuva. That's how we do it. Anyway, uh, so in the house of Levon. So the Midianites and the Moabites think that Moshe's peer is Levon because Levon is such on a level that it's just like if you've seen Moshe, then the only person who can come close is Levon. Now, it says this is Israel's arch enemy who in olden days had wanted to root out entirely Yaakov and all his family and who later on incited Pharaoh and Amalek against the people of Israel to bring about their destruction. Hence, too, the name Bilam, which is devourer of nations, for he was determined to devour the nation of Israel. But I thought Balak means to devour. Well, Balak means to devastate. Devastate. Slika. To destroy. So now you got the two destroyers. Wow. That's crazy. Okay, but anyway. Because Balaam and Balak, uh, Balak, when they get together, they would be the two destroyers. So it says that he was determined to devour the nation of Israel. Just at this time, Bilam was at the zenith of his power, for his curse 
had brought upon the Moabites their defeat at the hands of Sihon. Say, what? Because you know how Sihon and Og, the two giants that were defeated in last week's poor tor wow, last week's poor torsion. <laughs> That's funny. Last week's Torah portion, Sihon and Og were the two giants who were the the people in the land of Canaan were like, yeah, 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 the children of Israel ain't getting in because they got to beat those guys because those guys are the heavy. And it's just like, wait, Moshe, this 80-year-old, like, killed those guys? That's ridiculous. Oh, wait, Moshe's 120 by this point because it's like 40 years in the wilderness just went down. So it's like this really old guy just destroyed these giants. Uh, we're in trouble, y'all, because that's what their leader could do. So if their leader could do that, imagine what the people could do. And this is why I want to take a quick shout out to my Rebbe, Captain Yisrael. You know, um, I sorry, I'm throwing stuff because I'm excited, but. You know, the reason why I can be as violent as I am and the reason why I just am so grateful for this joy of elimination, Hashem has provided such a beautiful rabbi for us. And so, Captain Israel, I want to thank you for your training that you've taken me through and for your outpouring, your love and for your kindness to me and my household. And um, please do know that I totally am your Talmud and it's enough for me to be like you. So like all this violence that continues to get dropped, it's only because that's how violent you are. So yeah, just you know, a little homeboy, homeboy shout out to my Rebbe and, you know, the other Talmudim who are Avengers as well. The reason why they're violent is because of Captain Israel. So, you know, Hashem's spirit is, is amazing. It's moving through us and it's awesome. So, um, I just wanted to bring that out because, you know, when you think about Moshe and how incredible he is compared to the children of Israel, I mean, it's just like, wow, you know, the leader of the people really like inputs like this anointing and this power, you know, into the people. So, Rebbe, Cap, Todarabah, bless you, and may your ministry continue forth to the coming of Mashiach, literally bringing in the coming of Mashiach. Amen. So, anyway, uh, people were freaking out. So, it's like, if you really think about Bilam and Balak teaming up, it's just like, wait, why would that happen? Because... Bilam completely like annihilated the Moabites and caused them to lose their dominion so much so that Sichon and Og were like king over the Moabite king so it's just like that's interesting Balak is all like yeah you know that's my homeboy and it's just like is he really because he completely just took away your throne and now Sichon and Og are the ones who you got to be sub subservient to it's just like yeah, yeah, we don't have to talk about that. We got these children of Israel coming over here, and they destroyed those two guys, and I don't want to lose any more stuff, so yeah, let's work together, I guess. And yeah, so that's crazy. So it says that um, Bilam brought a curse upon the Moabites, they're defeated at the hands of Sichon, and his prophecy 
that his compatriot Balak should wear the crown had just been fulfilled. Okay, so there was this whole prophecy that Balak would become king, even though he would absolutely have his nation destroyed first, but eventually he'd become king because the one who was set up over him was destroyed. So it's just like, congratulations, job promotion. It's just like, yeah, Balaam told me this would happen, but now I'm freaking out. It's just like, well, you brought this on yourself. And it says that um, that Balak should wear the royal crown. Okay, so that all the kings sent ambassadors to seek advice from him. He gradually developed from an interpreter of dreams. Oh, Sleekow, this is talking about uh, Bilam again. So, Bilam had the prophecy that Balak would become king, have a royal crown, and all that. So, with all that happening, the kings sent ambassadors to Bilam to seek advice from him. Because it's like... I saw you destroy the Moabites, that's cool. You set up Sikon, that's cool. Sikon uh, and all got destroyed, that's not cool. Bilak is now king, that's cool. Okay, so Bilam, we need to talk to you. She's like, well, this guy is kind of like not really a, a mason here because, you know, his prophecies are coming true, but they're not good prophecies. I mean, what is this? So, um,. You know, you have to think about when you encounter people who say that they're prophets, you know, look at their fruit. And it's just like, do you really want a prophet that's not Jewish? Do you really want a prophet that's anti-Torah? Do you really want a prophet that says they believe in God and that they're filled with the spirit and that they walk in love? But that's not complete, you know, because the nations who are devoid of Hashem can love other people you know i can uh look all day in different uh news clippings of people who are giving to charity and making you know people who say that they're amazing uh makes them look like toddlers it's just like yeah you know so you got this goy over here that's giving more zadaka you know and it's just like and they don't even know anything about anything they're just living their life and trying to do their best they can they're being successful and they're giving all this charity and it's just like okay so what makes it different to say that well you, i believe in god and you know here i am doing all these acts of righteousness it's like well have you completely submitted yourself to hashem well to my knowledge i have and it's just like okay so you know the word that you read what about you know shabbat are you Shomer Shabbos? And that may seem like an indicting question, but I mean, that's really the crux of our faith because you realize being Shomer Shabbat, that's where you say Hashem is creator. Like, that's like foundational. Like, in order for you to really follow Hashem, you have to acknowledge that He's your creator. He is the creator. Because if you can't do that, then you can't really say you believe in Him. You may know of Him and you may want to, but you really have to move into that frame of reference where you say, Hashem, the things I know about you, I want to fully experience and walk in and surround myself in. So celebrating the Shabbat is a 25 hour period, at least, where you take your hands off of your own provision because you prepare for this day and you don't cook 
you don't uh, do any chores, you know, you don't work, you don't make your servants work, you know, and you're devoted to Hashem, your prayer, fellowship, meals, you know, shul. And you can do that without going out to eat and going out to sales and creating stuff like shopping or knitting clothes or typing up papers or writing songs, composing music and all that kind of stuff. If you can say, Hashem, I'll give you 25 hours of my week, Friday night to Saturday night, you know, like you can have me completely. So here I am. It's just like when you can do that, then you can begin to say that you trust in Hashem and that he is your God. So it's a, a really big point that we should note. All right. So now back to what we were talking about is that if you're going to have a person prophesy over you, really think about their words and who they are, because as we see, Moshe and Balaam both have power and potential and anointing. But only one has refined character and only one truly respects Hashem. And I don't know about y'all, but if someone's going to be speaking over my life and putting spiritual input into me, I want to receive from a pure source. I don't want any dirt, you know, in my cup of water. You know, like, please... I would love a glass of water or a clean glass. You know, I don't want any spots and like little uh, chunks of food. You know, like what's food chunks or remnants doing in my glass? Like this is a cup for drinking liquids. And it's just like there's spaghetti in this cup. And I think it's from two weeks ago. And it's just like, oh, that's really what it's like when you think about a non-Jewish prophet. It's like a two-week-old spaghetti noodle in your cup of water. And it's just like, I don't know if I want to drink this because did someone not get the memo that I need a clean cup? Because, I mean, that's really what you're doing. Like, if you don't have Torah ruling your life, I mean, you got stuff that's just, like, festering, and you're just like, I have this anointing, but I'm doing whatever I want with it. It's just like, Balaam did that. You know, Amalek did that. Babel did that. You know, anything non-Jewish, that's what it is. And it's just like, I don't want anything to do with that. I appreciate and I respect, but no thank you. I'll stick with Torah. Because really, when it comes down to it, Hashem doesn't want us relying on miracles and prophets anyway. Be like, um, He doesn't want us really seeking after uh like knowing our future uh all this kind of stuff that you would go to like a soothsayer or some kind of sorcerer like he doesn't want you to do that like those things are actually real palm reading looking at horoscopes and all that kind of stuff and all sorts of genies and stuff like that like you can go do that but it's like Hashem is like no I'd rather you just be obedient to my word and follow my son and like be one with me. Like if you do that, that that's that's incredible because anybody can, you know, find loopholes and cut lines and, you know, take shortcuts. But people who don't take shortcuts, people who really work hard, people who really lower themselves, people who really refine themselves, 
that's what we do. That's the that's the path of Moshe. That's the path of Yeshua HaMashiach. Okay? So anyway, that's all to swerve from here. Talking about Bilam, it says, He gradually developed from an interpreter of dreams to a sorcerer and had not attained the still greater prophecy or greater dignity of a prophet. Thus, even surpassing his father, who had been a prophet too, but not so notable as his son. All right, so Balaam's course of life and his actions show convincingly why God withdrew from the heathen the gift of prophecy. Balaam was the last of the heathen prophets. Shem had been the first whom God commissioned to communicate his words to the heathens. Okay, so Shem is the beginning of the lineage of Mashiach, by the way. So through him, you know, Abraham and all that happens. Okay. So God commissioned Shem to communicate his words like his Torah, his Yeshua. So Shem is the original gospel preacher. Okay, I mean... If you really put it think about it like this old school og right there true school shem school okay so he was commissioned to communicate god's words to the heathens this was after the flood when god said to shem shem had my torah existed among the previous 10 generations i suppose I should not have destroyed the world by the flood. Go now and announce to the nations of the earth my revelations, i.e. my Torah, i.e. Yeshua HaMashiach, i.e. get converted, become Jewish. And he says, ask them if they will accept my Torah. Throughout 400 years did Shem go about as a prophet. Homeboy lived a long time. But the nations of the earth did not heed him. The prophets that labored after him among the heathens were Job, his four friends, Eliphaz, Zophar, Bildad, Elihu, as well as Belam, all of whom were descendants of Nahor, which is Abraham's brother, from his union with Milcah. And order that the heathens might not say had we a prophet like Moshe we should have received the Torah God gave Bilam or God gave them Bilam as a prophet who in no way was inferior to Moshe either in wisdom or in the gift of prophecy Moshe was indeed the greatest prophet among the Israelites but Bilam was his peer among the heathens all right, so that's a little backstory on Bilam, and he was set out from the beginning to just really take out the Jews. Okay, let's go ahead and go to Balak. All right, so Balak. Uh, there's other stuff in like the Akidat Yitzhak and uh, other sources along that nature. Um, Dot Zekanim. I really got into Dot Zekanim a lot because they were breaking down some stuff from Sifre, and 
I mean, it was just a whole backstory. It learned that Balak was like really skilled in combat and stuff, and so there's that's like Balak was like legit as far as like what he could actually do, but he was just so freaked out and scared, which is like thinking about uh let's go with you know Jason Bourne, okay, so the Bourne supremacy movies, you know how like amazing epic that guy was imagine him being like scared for his life it's just like why are you scared for your life you're like super legit martial art man like strategic combat like what is this you know that's like well that's Bullock. and while we're at it talking about movie references if you really want to get a picture of Bullock or bilam versus moshe really just look at the matrix where it's neo versus agent smith because it's like everything that Neo is, Agent Smith is the complete opposite. But, you know, really in Torah, because it obviously supersedes the movie Hollywood lifestyle, you know, in, in the Matrix, spoiler alert, Neo dies because he sacrifices himself uh, to destroy the agent, Agent Smith. And so by destroying himself, he destroys Agent Smith. But the thing is, the destruction of Moshe did not have to happen to destroy Balak. The only thing that needed to, or Bilam, Slika, the only thing that needed to happen to destroy Bilam was to bring out the sword. And who brought out the sword? None other than Yehoshua. So there's that. Anyway, um... so yeah, Balak. So this is obviously from Legends of the Jews. I just really went to this source because I know it's kind of cheating. It's not fair, but considering the amount of time and backstory it is to just kind of pull sources from everywhere. I mean, this really just kind of compiles it and puts it all in one place. So here we go. Balak was the king of Moab. God allows nothing to stay unrewarded. Not even a respectable word remains without its reward. The older of Lot's two daughters called her son that was conceived in guilt Moab, which means by the father. Whereas the younger, for the sake of decency, called her son Ammon, son of my people. And when she was rewarded for her sense of propriety, For when Moshe wanted to overrun the descendants of Lot with war, God said to him, My plans differ from yours. Two doves shall spring from this nation, the Moabite Ruth and the Ammonite Naomi. For this reason must these two nations be spared. All right. So then it's just kind of like, okay, so don't go to war against them. And all it says, Yisrael's hostile, though not warlike attitude towards Moab inspired these people and their kings with great fear. So much so that they seemed to be strangers in their own land, fearing as they did that they should have to fare like the Egyptians. For the Israelites had come to Egypt as strangers, but had in time possessed themselves the land so that the Egyptians had to rent their dwelling places from them. 
their fear was still further increased by their belief that Israel would pay no attention to God's command to them not to wage war against Lot's descendants. This assumption of theirs was based on the fact that Israel had taken possession of the kingdoms of the kingdoms of Sichon and Og, even though these had originally been part of Ammon and Moab's possession. So they're freaking out because the children of Israel destroyed Sichon and Og, and it's like if they did that, then they're definitely coming for us. And it's just like, well, the only reason they did that is because they had to, because they were trying to pass by peacefully, but somebody said, no, won't let you pass by. Matter of fact, we're going to come out to war. And we're going to try to kill you because you're trying to come to the land and you can't be doing that. You need to stay in exile. Just like, okay, you shouldn't have done that, but all right. So now it says that this assumption of theirs was based on the fact Israel had taken possession of the kingdoms of Sikon and Og, even though these had originally been part of Ammon and Moabab, Moab's possessions. Cheshbon, Sikon's capital, had formerly belonged to Moab. Because remember, Bilam cursed Moab, and that's how Sichon got dominion over that capital. And that's how the capital of Moab became Sichon because of Bilam. So it's just like, yeah, again, your land was taken away by the guy who you're like hiring to go destroy Israel. And it's just like, you're going to trust that guy? Anyway, it says that, um, but the Amorites... Thanks to Balaam and his father Beor, their support had taken from Moab these and some of the other regions. The Amorites had hired these two sorcerers to curse Moab, with the result that the Moabites were miserably defeated in the war against Sichon. Woe to thee, Moab! You are undone, O people of Chemosh. That was in last week's Torah portion. These similar utterances were the omnious words that Bilam and his father employed against Moab. Chemosh was a black stone in the form of a woman that the Moabites worshipped as God. Or as their God. Okay? So that's a crazy backstory on Moab. Let's get into where Balak comes in. So at this time, so what time? So it says that um, after Sichon had captured these territories, at this time, the king of Moab was Balak, who was formerly a vassal of Sichon. And in that capacity, he was known as Zor. And then it says, yeah, so... The one who is called the devastator or the destroyer is called Zor, which is actually the word for rock in a homiletic sense. But I'm thinking Zor is spelled differently here. So we'll get into that right now. But it says after Sichon's death, he was chosen as king, though he was not worthy of a rank so high. Wow. Favored by fortune. Oh, so we got a brat here, a little spoiled inheritance baby. Uh, that's interesting. Because it says, favored by fortune, he received royal dignity, a position that he basically wasn't worthy of. So, uh, 
for the sake of people that may think that I'm using a, a broad paintbrush, not saying that trust fund people or people who uh, are born into an inheritance are spoiled, but in this example, uh, Balak here basically was handed a silver spoon in his mouth, but he wasn't worthy of it and uh he didn't really do anything to earn it it's just kind of like yeah i'm king you know it's cool and it's just like okay so what are you gonna do says he received royal dignity a position that his father had never filled so he didn't even have a father who did this so he's like a first generation throne sitter who was just like handed the kingdom and it's just like yeah you were uh you were a vassal of Sihon, but like you weren't like ruling the kingdom. You're just kind of like a gopher kind of person. And it says that Balak was a fitting name for this king, for he set about destroying the people of Israel. Wherefore, he was also called son of Zippor because he flew as swiftly as a bird to curse Israel. So, yeah, so there's this whole thing about Balak and birds. He was a great magician. He employed sorcery and he constructed a bird with feet and trunk and head of gold, mouth with silver, wings of bronze. And if you're thinking about the statue in Daniel, yes, it's connected. Then it says, and for a tongue, he supplied it with the tongue of the bird Yadua or Yidua. This is the Yidua bone that Hashem says we are not allowed to divine with. Because that would mean you're Balak's child, not Hashem's child. Okay. Anyway. So that bird said that this bird was now placed by a window. This is also in the Midrash says. This bird was placed by a window where the sun shone by day and the moon by night. And there it remained for seven days throughout which the burnt offerings were offered before it. So remember how the Mishkan was set up and there was all these sacrifices brought? Well, that's how Bilam got this bird to do his thing. He did a whole uh, inauguration week. So if you think about that, I mean, the parallel there is ridiculous. There's something about taking uh, seven days and doing like all these offerings that causes something of the spirit to be manifest in the physical. So, I mean, if you think about that in the concept of the Shabbat, how you go through seven days, and it's like the seventh day of the week, the Shabbat is completely like the spiritual thing, you know, in the physical. But you've been preparing for it all week. You know, you realize you're studying Torah portion, doing your household chores and planning out your meals and who you're going to invite over and listening to drashes and getting your clothes ready and all that kind of stuff. That's preparing for Shabbat. You're getting ready to manifest the spiritual highest of the heavenlies here in the lowest realms like on earth. So just saying. So this bird, after seven days, uh, it says that the tongue began to move. It's just like, oh, snap. And if pricked by a golden needle, it would divulge great secrets. 
It was this bird that had imparted to Balak all his occult lore. There is a wonderful little drop from uh, Kohelet. I want to shout out uh, one of our other shul ladies who did an amazing uh, share for this. So she knows who she is. I'm not going to mention her, but mention her. She was just like, oh, yeah, that's uh, Kohelet Ecclesiastes, basically. 1020, it says, furthermore, in your bedchamber, do not curse a king. And in your sleeping rooms, do not curse a rich man. For a bird of the heavens will carry out the sound or will carry the sound and winged creature. And the winged creature will make the matter known. Okay. Because that's what Balak did. He created a bird that had the word. Now, this is from Dr. Sakal. Shouts out to Dr. Sakal. This is uh, Rabbi Moshe Wolfson. Says, Balak was not happy that he was to father Mashiach. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw. Is the interpretation to mean Balak saw that he would have a son whose name is Zippor. In Kabbalah, Mashiach is referred to as Zippor. Thus, he called Bilam and requested curse Yaakov for me, which we can now understand as a meaning. Curse that spark of Yaakov that is within me, ensure that Mashiach never comes. To which Bilam later responded in his brachot, Mashiach won't come right away, but eventually he will come. So there's that. Balak knew that Mashiach was coming. Bilam knew that Mashiach was coming. And here we are headed into the three weeks. We should be understanding that Mashiach is coming. Question is, will we wait for him? Question is, are we making Teshuvah? And may Hashem help us to do that. All right, so that'll be the end of this segment, story time with Balak and Bilam. And now I will take a quick break and we will finish up this week's Parsha Drashim with the birth of Yeshua HaMashiach. All right, so we'll be back after this. <laughs> 